Lawmakers pilot their way to a budget deal. Casino developers talk smooth and tough. And your cell phone is as private as your home. These topics are more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSIDE, this is Columbus on the Record. WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Karen Kassler, State House Bureau Chief for Ohio Public Radio and TV. Gil Price, Managing Editor of the Columbus Call and Post. Greg Haas, Democratic Strategist. And Mark Weaver, Republican Strategist. Just in time for Christmas, Democrats and Republicans in the Ohio Senate gave a little and came up with a budget deal that solves, for now, the state's budget crisis. Republicans agreed to delay the last phase of the state income tax cut. Democrats agreed to pilot programs to test whether the state should change the way it awards public construction contracts. And Democrats agreed to make it easier for local school districts to get out of having to offer expensive all-day kindergarten. Karen Kassler, in this season of generosity, who gave the most? Well, I think it's interesting with the way that this shook out in the Senate. I mean, the Senate gave five of their votes for this plan. Democrats gave 12 of their votes for this plan that came from the Senate leadership. Uh, but there were things in here that really made a lot of people unhappy. I mean, the, Senate, the senators, you had several of them who said, I'll vote for this, even though I think it's a tax increase. But Democrats who were getting the full tax delay that they wanted we're also having to give up a little bit. So, I, I mean, it, it was a compromise. I think it was a bigger compromise in a way for the Republicans because they did have to back off on the sentencing reforms, both in state construction projects and prison sentencing. So they gave, they got a pilot program and not the whole deal on the construction well, and, deal. And you could have, I mean, in a way, after the compromise plan was initially discussed and then was outright rejected, in a way, it was a surprise that the Republican senators didn't just say, okay, fine, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do none of the income tax cut rollback. We're going to do all cuts and then just send it to conference committee. So in a way, it was a surprise that that didn't happen. Was that the problem? The Republicans never got a really good alternative plan. They didn't want the tax increase or tax delay, tax cut delay, but they didn't really have a good solid alternative plan. Well, Mark. there were different voices. Some people early on said that a governor, why not do a one-year budget? We're having all this one-time money come in. Let's take care of this year. And then next year, we're going to have to solve the problem in the future at some point anyway. Uh, that was not listened to. The governor had a plan. The governor wanted to move forward. The people of Ohio recognized the governor any more than any one particular state senator. And so he put a lot of political capital into this. And now he has what he asked for, which is, according to the Akron Beacon Journal and many other people, a tax increase at a time when most Ohioans cannot afford a tax increase. But I think it's kind of hard to say the governor in this context because, let's face it, uh, one of the things that Bill Harris tried to avoid doing for a long time, he tried to avoid calling it a tax increase. In fact, when, uh, when, the, when the governor was calling it a tax delay, then Bill Harris said, I'm not going to say what it is yet. Bill Harris did not start calling it a tax increase until about a month ago. And then he signed on to pass a tax increase. So you have, what I'm saying is it's, it's almost impossible to argue. You can say it's a tax increase. It's almost impossible to argue that now that Republicans are not as complicit in this tax increase well, as Democrats the are. Well, the Senate, who are, who, are, who chose to be and involved. And two in the House. And, the rest, and two in the House, no doubt. Who are complicit uh, and, in this. But and those five in the Senate, remember, it would not have passed 
but for those oh, no five doubt. in the and, Senate. And, and they're complicit. President Harris said that he doesn't have to face the voters, but he does have to face his neighbors and his grandchildren, and I think he understands the import of his vote. He's also a statesman who's trying to move things forward. The governor who is plummeting in popularity, who is now, for every one person you meet on the street who likes Governor Taft, Governor Strickland, the next person dislikes him. He's at a one-to-one -one ratio. This can only make things worse Greg, for Ted Strickland. How much does it hurt? Well, first of all, I think I think in, in the long run, I think the governor's leadership in this uh, uh, plays very well. I think for, uh, he stumbled in the beginning stages. He alienated a lot of folks. You know, you take the library folks, for instance. Uh, they ended up becoming allies in, in, the, in the process. But what's most interesting to me about this is kind of the decline of the legislature in the process. I don't disagree with Mark entirely on, on, on a lot of this being directed at the governor. But, you know, all of us kind of grew up in a time politically in this state when when Jim Rhodes or Dick Celeste would have taken a budget to the legislature and they would have said, patted him on the back and said, thank you very much. And, and whether it was uh, Gilmore and, and Rife or, uh, or, or uh, um, any, any, any other legislator in that time period, and they would take the budget and they would say it's ours and, and you know, thank you for your estimates, thank you for your ideas, but now we'll take our responsibility sincerely and we're gonna pound out the budget. Somehow, uh, in the last, you know, um, a few years, it's evolved into primarily a gubernatorial. elected uh, in the 80s. Right. And Rife was elected in the 70s, and in 2000 we had term limits. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And you have an entirely different, no. you have an entirely different construct of the well, legislature. That's, the that's right. It's it, the legislature as we used to know it no longer exists. That's and, 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 and it's most clear around the budget. I mean, that, that's the point where it, there, there are times where leadership emerges around particular issues in the legislature today, but it's rare. And when you see this budget in the way it's handed over to the governor and it basically becomes the governor's uh, job to deliver a budget is, is totally foreign to the way things used to operate and I think operated in a much better uh, environment. He this week ramped up the education card. I mean, there were ads in the newspaper he was pounding on, if you don't do this, there's going to be drastic cuts in education. Did that cinch this deal and finally got the deal done and got those five Republicans to vote for it? I think it wasn't only that, but also the idea, if you don't do the income tax cut delay by December 31st, you're not going to be able to do it at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you wait till after January 1st, then it is a tax increase yeah. no matter how you spend it. So I think the education part of it and, and certainly the idea that you had school districts saying we, we fear for our budgets next year, I think that did play a role. But I think you have something else, too. It's, it's called the what else alternative. Because if you don't do this, then, okay, you cut $850 million. What exactly do you cut? And, I, and, and the interesting thing is, uh, I remember in a past life sitting in a, me in a meeting with uh, Senator uh, Niehaus and Senator Paget with the governor talking about the poverty in their districts and the need for more funding for second harvest and those kind of things. Uh, you know. It isn't just Democrats who are hurting. It isn't just urban residents who are hurting. Democrats and Republicans send their kids to public schools. Right. Democrats and their Republicans have their kids in, in nursing homes and have their and have their kids receiving food stamps, and and programs that benefit poor and and middle income people. And so it's almost impossible to isolate the impact of these cuts on one group of people. Everybody's going to feel it, and guess what? I think, I think the Republicans 
understand that everybody's going to feel the pain if we don't do something. Well, and that's the question, I think, going forward here is you have to make cuts going forward. I mean, this tax cut delay puts you a little bit closer to dealing with what everyone's calling the tsunami or the tidal wave coming yeah. up. That puts you a little closer to dealing with that. But, yeah, that's going to be yeah. it is what can you cut now? Where do you do it? And real quickly, I think that's where the governor found his footing in all this is when he identified it as a education-focused cut. I think that that, rather than all of the different groups kind of competing, well, it's not going to be me, it's not going to be me, you know, I mean, and, and, and fighting with each other, it became a unified front at, front at that point, and, and I think that's where, you know, the, the governor got the juice, obviously, to put the heat on to make something happen. All right, our next topic. A top official with the company that plans to build a casino in Columbus says his company is determined to build it in the Arena District. Penn Nationals President Tim Wilmot was extremely friendly in an interview on WOSU's All Sides with Ann Fisher. He said he wants to work with casino opponents. To, they are trying to overturn the November vote, which cleared the way for the casino. But if you listen carefully, you can hear the sound of a velvet hammer. One prominent opponent to the casino plan told me the other day that they're prepared to embark on a 100-year war to stop it. Are you? Well, certainly uh, we believe, and, and, you know, again, we, we want to be cooperative and we want to be inclusive. Uh, we believe we have a very good legal standing here. Uh, we also believe that, um, again, once we get the message out about this, that uh, people will see the benefits of this development. And you, you saw probably earlier in the week um, the reports came out of what was spent to win this vote mm -hmm. in the state of Ohio. Certainly. We have uh, ample resources to protect our right. What Wilmot was referring to was the $47 million in gambling money the companies spent to approve the casinos in Ohio in last November's election. Gil Price, he was polite, he was cordial, but by saying that they have the resources to fight for their rights, them fighting words. Those are fighting words, and now the you know the, the saying that uh, politics is war by other means. Obviously, this is war. We already know one side of the war. Uh, you know the the Columbus side of the war. You know, led by you know the Dispatch Corporation and led by the you know the corporate interest. I think of Columbus generally is to say, you know, that we don't want this here. And you have another side that has spent literally, as they've said, forty-seven million dollars to make sure it's here. I I, I think. Um, one of the problems is when you have a constitutional amendment that says very specifically certain things about what the what what the uh, where this is going to be built and and, and who's going and how it's going to be structured. It's going to be very difficult to overturn that, and that's why obviously they put it in the constitution. And this current situation reminds us of the problem raised by journalist David Broder in a book he wrote a few years ago called "Derailing Democracy." And the point was uh, when when certain interests can't get something through the legislature. They're more likely to spend money to get it on the ballot, which mm -hmm. they can then force it through. And we now see, at least in central Ohio, the wishes of the people being flaunted because of what happened when a moneyed interest came in and was able to push it through through a constitutional amendment. And we now literally have street addresses and names of properties yeah. embedded in the Ohio Constitution, which most people would agree is not the place to do this. It ought to be done at the legislature, but there was no political will to do it at the legislature. And I want to kind of combine something both of you said in terms of Gil's point in terms of the coalition of opponents and all this. One of the things that's important for political leadership is there's another player in that, and that's 58% of the voters here uh, in, in, in strong grassroots opposition to this 
to this casino. In Franklin County. In Franklin County and in Central Ohio, and that gives obviously uh, the uh, the anti-casino side a lot a lot of juice. And the point on this, in the long run, they can talk with a velvet hammer all they want. But this fight, if it heads into the courts, if it heads into uh, um, uh, various issues and, and, and drags out, time is money to those mm -hmm. casinos. And they, you, you, just like the slot machines, you can hear that money clicking. And if they're gonna delay it two years, three years, four years because of a long fight, which the, the, the dispatch, the business community, and the voters can go on forever in terms of fighting this thing, mm -hmm. um, it, it, at some point, they've got to concede because time's money. Are the, are the voters really going to be the ones fighting this? Because this a, I know it was basically 60-40 against it, but they promised 2,000 jobs. Well, and I the way the economy is right now, can't they say, okay, these business interests are keeping average rank and file folks from getting these jobs, They're keeping construction jobs from being created? And that was kind of my question here is if you do indeed have to take this back to the ballot to get the location changed or do anything with regard to this constitutional amendment, I mean, yeah, it failed by 58% here, but it passed throughout the rest of the state. And what, what happens if you take it to the ballot again and the same people who voted for the casino said, no, we're not going to change anything, then what do you do? Yeah. So I wonder what the future of it is if, if you do have to indeed go back to the voters. I think there are several different ways in which this thing can play out, and I don't think anybody has a clear handle in, in any court in terms of how it's going to play out, except, as, as, as Gil said, it's a war, and it's going to continue, and there are resources on both sides. And I believe, Mike, I believe strongly that when you have in the face of $50 million worth of, of, of fairly devious TV advertising uh, in terms of the jobs, and 60% and of the public say, we don't want it, uh, you've got a pretty strong resolve because the economy was in bad shape in November, and, and voters were still saying no, uh, in spite of a lot of money being spent to pass this thing. This is good. This is also going to be a fascinating lesson in how many different levers of power there are. Mm -hmm. We all saw the lever of how many millions of dollars of television ads can move votes, but there's also the lever of zoning, of council mm -hmm. approval, yeah. of grants, of local activists, of the courts, mm -hmm. all of which have yet to be pulled. And I think you will see a variety of these mechanisms being pulled against one another, and we will not see resolution for some and time. referendums on yeah. several of those. But I true. think there's another one, too. Uh, remember what happened in New London, Connecticut. New London, Connecticut, you know, they went through the big fight over, over um, eminent um, domain. domain. And, you know, Pfizer said, here's what we want to build. We're going to build it here. It's going to be big, all the way to the Supreme Court. And the land is empty right now because the economics of the deal changed. Mm -hmm. And the company yeah. decided, we don't necessarily want to do it. And I don't know where in terms of in, in terms of their priorities, Columbus ranks in relation to the other sites. Well, that's I think that's a great point because I think you know clearly this whole thing was about Cincinnati and Cleveland primarily, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and 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 Toledo and Columbus were secondary. I mean, you you could see that very clearly from from the beginning, and I think that that's a great great point. The other thing to remember it, when you when you mentioned th that site is also what happened in Philadelphia around the casinos. I want to talk quickly about Pittsburgh Nationwide Realty Trust. It got a little play five four years ago. Nationwide Realty Trust, the developer of the Columbus Arena, arena District, wanted to build an arena district in Pittsburgh with the Penguins, and there was a casino that was part of that deal. Well, so this comes down to, again, no. it's money. It's not moral obligation, it's money. Well, no, wait a minute. There are huge distinctions between the two. I number know. one, one was number just one, slots. Number no table well, games. And, and, and number two, it had already been passed by the public. There had yeah. already been extensive this site was passed selection. By the public. 
uh, not here. And, well, and, and not only that, the public was involved in the long term in the site selection. There yeah. was a long process in, involved local officials and others about the site selection. This but is a bunch of people from outside Ohio coming in well, saying, we're going to go the here. the downtown of Pittsburgh is crumbling. And imagine the downtown of Columbus without the Arena District. That's why people are so passionate about this. Those of us who've been here before the Arena District yeah. and now we see it, we know what a jewel it is. Imagine if that were not here or imagine if it was tarnished mm -hmm. with what many people say a casino will bring to that okay. area. Be fun to watch. Our third topic, once again, civil rights and technology have collided in the courts. This week, the Ohio Supreme Court ruled police cannot search the contents of a cell phone without a search warrant. So police first have to get permission from a judge before they can search through call logs, contacts, uh, text messages on a cell phone. That's unless, of course, the officer's safety is in immediate danger. Mark Weaver, the court basically said the cell phone's a computer. Police can't search your computer, they can't search your cell phone. It's an interesting case. The framers gave us the Fourth Amendment, of course, to protect from government and intrusion into our personal effects. In this case, how much is a cell phone a personal effect? What people don't realize is the Ohio Supreme Court has said that a purse, a woman's purse, can be searched without a search warrant. And most women will tell you that there are personal things they'd rather not be seen in their mm -hmm. purse, maybe even more so than what's on their cell phone, which they know the cell phone company has access to. It was a four to three decision. It's another example of how the laws move slower than technology. I think the court was trying to grapple with the ramifications of what can be found in a cell phone. Now we know they are miniature computers, but it's, they have to weigh it against other rulings. When you bring a comparison up, a purse certainly has private information as well does a cell phone. I think you see a lot of people wondering whether this was the right decision. I think it's interesting though that a seven member Republican court uh, would split 4-3 on this subject. I find that fascinating because, you know, this court has not necessarily been viewed, especially from on a lot of issues, as, as being an aggressive defender of civil rights, at least on a lot of other issues. And I don't know of any other one like quite like this one where they've come down this way. You also, you, it's not only that, it's government intrusion in private, it's not just civil rights, but it's, I mean, it's all the same, but it's government intrusion in private matters, which is a conservative but theme as well. Usually though, when, 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 con when conservatives deal with those two things, they usually come down on the side of cops. Mm -hmm. But the, the, this case may be mooted out before you know it, here's why. The, the ruling actually said that if there's reason to believe the evidence might be destroyed, then you can go in without a warrant. Many cell phones now have the ability from a remote location that you can log in and wipe your cell phone of all the evidence in case it gets stolen. You don't want someone to get the bad stuff. So if somebody, a bad guy had his partner mm -hmm. who he calls him and says, wipe my phone, it can be wiped remotely. That might cause police to say, you know what, just in case we're going to go look so we don't have to wait for a warrant. Tiger Woods wish he had that technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there are other cases, like Mark said, that uh, the laws aren't keeping up with technology here, and, and the courts are having to deal with some of this. I know that there are cases involving whether, you know, your employer, if your employer provides your cell phone, can your employer then see, for example, your text messages, especially if those texts are personal and you're sending things that maybe you wouldn't want other people to read. So there are a lot of cases that I think this kind of hits on. It's going to kill those law and order. I know. They're How many times have you seen that on Law and Order, right? Cell phones, it's all fiction. Trust me. Oh, don't don't ever believe the stuff that's on television. I believe it all. The Ohio Supreme Court makes some pretty big decisions, as we have seen, but apparently not many people are interested in or think they can win the jobs. There are three seats up for grabs on the high court. 
Uh, Republican Judith Ann Lanziger next year faces Democratic challenger Mary Jane Trapp, but two others do not. Justice Paul Pfeiffer and Chief Justice candidate Maureen O'Connor, she's a current justice who is running to replace the retiring Tom Moyer. Greg Haas, Democrats have made great gains three years ago, mm -hmm. big wins. Why no big name candidates for well, these it's spots? A, it's a great question. I think, first of all, I think there's probably still a lot of maneuvering going on behind the scenes. Uh, 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 a lot of pressure, um, um, and it, you know, for uh, Jennifer Bruner to reconsider the Senate race and to and to jump into the race. And I think that there's a lot of uh, kind of things that we're not seeing. Um, but I'm sure that Chris Redfern is hearing the clock ticking and knowing that we're getting close to January. Uh, and I think the state party, you know, has done a very good job in a number of fronts. Um, what uh, in recent years, but but we have a long history of really not doing a very good job when it comes to Supreme Court races. Um, we seem to be able to fund uh, candidates that don't have a chance of winning, and we can't fund uh, quality candidates that, that have a shot at winning. Um, and, and, you know, I think we've got to do a lot of self-analysis about that because th the fact is that, that, that there is no way, in a, this is not either Utah uh, in an all-Republican state or Massachusetts in an all-Democratic state. This is a very competitive state. And when you're, when you're down seven zip, uh, th that's a sign that something's wrong. Well, it's important mm -hmm. to remember that the Chief Justice is more than just first among equals. The Chief Justice appoints all the staff, appoints all the conflicts of judges around the state, sets the tone and the policy of of the judicial branch the way Chief Justice Moyer has so well for the last uh, 20 some years and so it would be I don't think it's going to happen but it would be an embarrassment for the Democrats if they did not field a candidate for the Chief Justice. But that's the interesting thing though I mean if I remember correctly we have uh, Democrats have not controlled the um, court since 86. Right. I think when, when Moyer uh, defeated uh, Frank, Frank Celebrezzi uh, and since then, I mean, it's almost been, you know, it, I don't, I don't, I can't think, I think the only person I can remember, well, William Brown, I think, won once or twice. Right. And Herb Brown, I think, won. Won in, well, and then, uh, and Alice Roby Rosner. Actually, actually, Herb actually won in 84, didn't he? I yeah. think the first mm -hmm. time. And, okay. And, and, and I think that uh, we did have um, uh, Frank Sweeney. Um, after that period, okay. is this a, is this Those a different are very limited numbers? You right. know? I mean, the fact that we can name them you here. Just listed everybody. Right. Yeah. yeah. Is this a different type of race? I mean, granted, you've got to be an attorney well, to an be a Supreme Court justice, kind of so it's not like a running for governor. And so the pool is limited right away. Then there's the economics. If you're a successful lawyer, do you really want to give that up to be a Supreme well, Court then, justice? And the campaign is totally different. I mean, that's why you have Chief Justice Moyer and the League of Women Voters talking about, hey, let's appoint judges instead of having them run, because it's a totally different campaign. You can't run it like you run a gubernatorial campaign or a Senate campaign. And the interest groups are different, which I think is right. important. Yeah. When you're going to have business groups that are going to they're going to fund races for the, for the court. Labor groups and other groups that support Democrats are going to be looking at the other statewide elective office. Well, and, and, and here's a even a bigger distinction too, Karen. When you talk about the different races, it's also different than a judicial race, and something that Mark and I deal with a lot of times when we're working for or advising judicial candidates who are running for their own seat. It, it's kind of about their position and about kind of how they're going to handle the job. When you're running for the Supreme Court, you're running as part of a team. You know, so it's not solely, and it becomes much more of a litmus test in terms of uh, in terms of evaluating the candidates. And and uh, you know, I'm very much a believer in the merit selection. Also, I mean, I, but we got to lighten up the mood here a little bit. Maybe the high court will have to decide this one. The Ohio House this week voted to regulate ring dings, well, at least some of them. The House voted to prohibit public schools from selling junk food or snack in snack bars or in vending machines. The bill aims to reduce childhood obesity, which is a real problem. 
20% of Ohio kids are overweight, according to state health officials. The bill is now in the hands of the Senate. Greg, should the legislature be telling you you can't eat your Twinkies or your donuts or your I think sodas? If, I think if parents want to put Twinkies in a lunch bucket, they can do it. Uh, in terms of, uh, of having those things around the schools and, uh, and where people can get to them, I don't think any more than, than, you know, when I was growing up, there were schools out there that actually still had cigarette machines that kids could buy cigarettes from, particularly in southern Ohio where the tobacco <laughs> industry uh, had some cloud. And there were smoking rooms for students uh, in, in those days. You know, those were banned. Uh, I, I think that... Sounds it, like when the dinosaurs ruled the earth. That, <laughs> well, I remember hey, that. Hey, Bill, hey, we were together, I so, know, you know, it's like... <laughs> uh, the, the bottom line is... That when uh, um, you know Harry Chapin one time actually had a chance to meet him, and this was shortly before he died, and he was talking passionately about the Sugar Institute and about the things that they were doing to get sugar into the schools to expand their control over kids and 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 to make our kids addicts to to uh, sugar, and I and I think they did it successfully, and I'm, I'm all in favor of banning. Uh, yeah, but there's a different point. I don't want my kids eating junk at school either. That's important. However. Should the state legislature take the role of mandating what can and cannot be served? You know, they're saying don't serve the ring dings and the yeah. cookies or the salty snacks, the potato chips. I mean, for a bunch of legislators who are constantly voting in favor of pork spending to be now voting against pork rinds tells me... <laughs> that they've got their priorities in the wrong place. Well, and With that, some, of these got, things, some of these things are used as fundraisers, too, so, I mean, you know. Oh, oh. Yeah. That's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> Quickly, we have to get to our off-the-record comments from our panel. Predictions for the weeks ahead. Karen, you're up first. Well, I've heard that uh, there's a possibility that women might play a big role in the 2010 campaigns. Maybe one, maybe two women in the gubernatorial races. Mm -hmm. So I'd be interested to see if, uh, indeed, there might be a woman running mate or at least one. Okay. Gil? Ohio State defeats Oregon in the Rose Bowl for the first time in a long time. A Rose Bowl victory. That is the first Ohio State football prediction we've had all season You're going to be kidding uh -huh. me. Greg, real quick. Real quick, uh, I believe that there's going to be actually a new constitutional amendment before too long, and, and, and there's a group that, that's coming together to allow local counties the right to vote against a public nuisance casino uh, if a majority of voters um, oppose it. Okay, and Mark. Groups will call for Governor Strickland to release his medical records to prove he's healthy enough for another term. He will refuse to do so, and he will continue to spur rumors that he's not ready to run. Okay, that is Columbus on the Record for this week. We urge you to check out our website. There you can get a preview of the topics each week. You can catch streaming video of each program in case you missed one. And also check out our links to Facebook and to my blog. And even though the Department of Transportation says you should Twitter, Icy Roads, I shan't. All at our website, wosu.org slash COTR. For our crew and for our panel at WOSU at COSI, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week. <laughs>